welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. The story is told about a woman who lived in the 17th century by the name of Hester Prynne. She had immigrated from Europe to the colony of Massachusetts, and then her husband was going to join her sometime later. However, her husband's arrival was delayed to the point that the rulers of the city actually said that he was probably lost and had died at sea. But during this time that she was waiting for her husband, Hester obviously had had an extramarital affair and was pregnant, giving birth to a daughter. As it was, as you might know, the colony of Massachusetts in the 17th century had been settled by Europeans arriving from England. They were called Puritans. You remember the Puritans, right? They were the dissidents in the Church of England who believed that the church was corrupt and thus in need of purification. And whenever the news gets out about a woman who has conceived a child out of wedlock, well, that certainly didn't fit the Puritan standards of how people should live. And so the leadership of the community got together and made the decision that for her discipline, Hester would be publicly shamed. And part of the way that she was to be shamed was wherever she went, she always had to wear the letter A for adultery in bright red so everybody could see it. They told her if she would only tell who the father of the child was that her discipline would be over, but she chose to keep her secret to herself. And thus is the story told by Nathaniel Hawthorne that is called The Scarlet Letter. Now, we'll be honest, I have never read The Scarlet Letter. Nor have I seen the 1995 movie with Demi Moore either. But I don't have to have seen the movie to understand the premise of somebody being publicly shamed for something they have done. We do not want, we do not want to live as people that the legacy of our lives is based on something that we have failed at, something that we would forever be known for, whether it be an error or a mistake or sin. For example, let me give you some two examples of people that are remembered for something other than their accomplishments. How many of you know and recognize the name Bill Buckner? Wow, I really thought we had more baseball fans in our church than this. Have I had no influence on you whatsoever? Okay, Bill Buckner was a major league baseball player. He actually played over 2,500 baseball games. Now understand, typically a season is 162 games. So just to play 1,600 games, you have to be in the league for 10 years. He played over 2,500 he had a career batting average just shy of 300, which means he was an above average hitter. But no one knows him for his longevity. No one knows him for his career batting average. Bill Buckner is remembered for one play in the 1986 Game 6 World Series. He played for the Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox hadn't won the World Series 
in years, which personally I find very satisfying. But he is playing first base. The Red Sox are ahead. They hit a ground ball to Buckner. All he has to do is pick up the ball, step on first base, game is over, series is over, Red Sox win the World Series. But <laughs> he didn't do that. If you have seen the video, yep, that's the guy that the ball just rolls between his legs. The Mets score two runs, win game six, forcing game seven, which the Mets then won to become the World Series champion. Buckner's not remembered for any of his hits. He's remembered for not fielding one ground ball. Or recently, I was watching a documentary about Janet Jackson of the famous pop music Jackson family, her late brother, the king of pop, Michael Jackson, being the most famous of that group. And she has set numerous records in the music industry for the sales of her music. Is that what she's known for? Ah, y'all are waking up a little bit. She is remembered for the halftime show of the 2004 Super Bowl when she experienced um, wardrobe malfunction. No one wants to be remembered for their failure. We wouldn't want to remember Buckner that way. We don't want to remember Janet Jackson that way. We don't want to remember ourselves that way. We do not want to be known for our failures. And one of the things that we can appreciate about the Bible and the lives and witness of those that we read about in there is that the Bible writers do not try to purify or sanitize who these people were. I mean, off the top of my head, here's some of the things that I think of. Abraham. Dude had trouble telling the truth. Rahab. She actually has a nickname. You know it? Rahab the harlot. Peter. <laughs> Dude had a potty mouth. Paul was a pharisaical bully. And yet that is not the legacy they leave behind, but those are things the Bible tells us about those people. And in this series, we've been looking at King David, who was guilty of adultery, but he didn't have to wear a scarlet A on his vestment. He was guilty of murder. He didn't have to wear an M, so everybody knew he was a murderer. He was known by a different reputation, a man after God's own heart, because he understands how important it is for us to deal with the problem of our sin. And so he writes a song of repentance in Psalm 51 where he appeals to the mercy of God. He asks God to cleanse him. He asks God to purify him. And today we look at the next thing that he asked God to do. If you would read this scripture aloud with me, please. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. One more time. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So actually, this is not the first time in the psalm that David has asked that. If you look at verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out 
my sin. Now, the, the language that is used there to blot out the sin is like if you see the sun shining on a beautiful day like today, but all of a sudden a big cloud comes and, and begins to block the, the radiance and the brilliance of the sun. That's what the idea of blot out means. But now we get down to verse 9, and now he's saying, remove the stain of my guilt. Get rid of it. Lord, I don't ever want to think about it again. I don't ever want to have to deal with this again. Because we know you can wash something, you can purify something, but that doesn't always take away the stain. I actually had a moment of panic recently. I was ironing a white shirt. I don't remember if I had to do a wedding or a funeral. I had to iron a white dress shirt for something. Now, gentlemen, I just want you to know it is not a man card violation for me to iron my own shirts. I iron my own shirts for two reasons. Reason number one, I'm too cheap to take them to the cleaners and pay them to do it. And number two, I usually do it while I'm watching a ball game. So it is multitasking at its finest. And on the end of our ironing board, you know, the, the place where you're, you know, you're pressing the cuff of your sleeve or your collar and you want it to look good. And, and I'm old school. I actually have a water squirt, you know, help get the wrinkles out. Or maybe I use starch. But at the end of the ironing board where the most use gets had, you know what's on the end of the cover? A scorch mark. And this had never happened before, but I'm ironing my shirt, and all of a sudden I see that somehow the scorch mark had gotten on my white dress shirt. And I panic. We've already established that I'm too cheap to go buy another white shirt. And Robin was standing nearby, and I said, I can't believe this. My shirt is stained. And she said, you need to get it in the wash immediately. So I went and I grabbed all the whites and I threw them in the wash. And now I'm looking through the cabinet. And I find some kind of, you know, pre-stained wash removal thing. And I put it on, man, I am scrubbing it, trying to get the chemical mojo working between the stain treatment and the stain to do whatever it has to do. And then I wash it. When I come, I get my shirt out and I look, glory, hallelujah, the angels in heaven are singing, my stain is gone. And when, I, when, when this happened, I actually knew I was going to be preaching a sermon on remove the stain of my guilt. And so I thought, you know, I, I wonder if you go online and you, you know, just put in there, remove stains, what comes up? And I came across this website that was called Cleaning Institute. So should you ever get a stain, I highly recommend Cleaning Institute. But they had a thing that was called How to Get Stains Out of Clothes, and here's what it said. First thing, deal with it as early as possible. That's what I did. My shirt is stained. And Robin said, you've got to wash it immediately. She is a wise woman. She knew what to tell me. So I'm going to wash it immediately. The second thing is pre-treat with the stain remover. I'm not that smart. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. And man, I'm getting it. I'm working the mojo trying to get that stain broken down. Then step three, launder according to the fabric care instructions. Is there anybody here that really thinks I pay that close attention when I do laundry? It's white. You throw it in there. It's all white. Just throw it in there. Put in a little OxyClean to help you, you know, with the process. That's what I do. And then step four is do not put it in the dryer until the stain is removed, which is what I did. I got the shirt out. The stain was removed. If it had not been, Cleaning Institute says then repeat steps one, two, and three again. Oh, beloved, sometimes we feel the... Forgiveness that God gives us, sometimes we feel purified 
But there's somebody that wants to publicly shame us. There's somebody that wants to discipline us and remind us of the stain of our sin. And I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing I know, and I didn't find this online. I learned this a long time ago. There's only one thing that will get rid of the stain of our sin. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus will cleanse every stain that we have as far as our sin. Jesus is the one who went to the cross to die for us so that we didn't have to sacrifice animals over and over again to show how repentant that we were. We knew that we owed a debt we couldn't pay, and Jesus paid it on our behalf. And that's what gets rid of the stain of your sin. And David Jesus isn't born yet. David appeals to that part of God's nature and character, to God's mercy, to God's grace, to get rid of the stain of the sin. He doesn't say, let me bring a sacrifice that will get rid of the stain. He's asking God to do it directly. And one of the things that I want us to remember this morning is that the stain of our sin does not have the final word of our lives. Whatever you have done, whatever you may do, that does not have to become your legacy. That does not have to become the thing in your life that defines who you are. The final word of our sin and its stain is not left just with our sin. I mean, let's go back and think of those uh, people we talked about earlier. Abraham. Abraham had trouble telling the truth. Now, I'm not going to tell you all that story. Sometimes you need to read it for yourselves. So it's in the book of Genesis. I'm even going to help you. Don't start reading until chapter 12. You don't have to read the rest of the book. You just read a few chapters, and you're going to find out that Abraham had trouble telling the truth. Is this what we remember about Abraham? No. What we remember about Abraham is that God came to him and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And the dude was, you know, ancient. He didn't even have kids. But he believed God would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous on the sand of the shore. And because Abraham believed God, to his credit, he is called righteous. That's what we remember about Abraham. Or Rahab. Rahab in the Old Testament may have been thought of as a harlot. But go to Matthew chapter 1. It's some of the most stimulating reading that you will ever do. A genealogy. Because what Matthew wants people to know is that Jesus has descended from Abraham. Jesus is a descendant of the line of David. And so he starts at Abraham, and he starts going down all the way to where Jesus is. But in the middle of that, a group of men, there's just a few women listed, and one of them is Rahab, that one who helped the people of God becomes the line from which our Savior is born. Peter was potty mouth. <laughs> Does anybody doubt that? <laughs> I mean, he wasn't a golfer, but he was still a potty mouth. <laughs> you know, he, he was a fisherman. And uh, we know how when they said, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he denied it three times that when he heard the rooster crow, the scripture says he called curses down on himself. He started cussing himself out because of what he had done. And we remember Peter's denial. We don't remember the potty mouth part. But we also remember that Peter, out of all the people who have ever lived other than Jesus, Peter's the one who walked on water. It was brief, but he did it. 
And we know on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and people began to experience this miracle of receiving the Holy Spirit, that people watching thought, man, what's wrong with these people? Are they drunk? And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's going on. This is a promise God gave us through the prophet Joel, that he will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And what you see today is because of what God has done, because Jesus is gone. He told us the Comforter was going to come. And what you need to do, because people wanted to know, what do we do? He said, you need to repent of your sin and be baptized. And thousands of people profess faith in Christ at that day. That's Peter's legacy. How about the Apostle Paul? A bully, a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own admission, who was given letters and given orders that he could go around and he could bully, he could oppress, he could beat, he could kill Christians to stop this news of the resurrection. But all of a sudden he's riding to Damascus and this lightning bolt from the sky knocks him off his horse and he hears Jesus' voice speak and it changes his life forever. So much so that he begins to preach that which he persecuted people for. He begins to share the good news of Jesus' resurrection. So much so that when he was beaten, when he was dragged outside a city in stone, when people wanted to kill him for doing what he had bullied other people for, as soon as he got strength, he went right back to doing what God had called him to do. And he's the greatest missionary in all of Christian history. And just so you know, he's the author of over half the books in the New Testament. His legacy is not who he was. The guilt of his stain has been removed. And brothers and sisters, we need to hear this very clearly. The blood of Jesus not only forgives our sin and pays the debt we owed, it cleanses us from the stain of our sin. See, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, you know, I am the bridegroom and and the church. My people are the bride. And someday I'm going to have to present my bride to my heavenly father. But I will present my bride without spot or blemish. The stains are gone. Whatever you've done, whatever you consider that has happened in your life, you don't need to live with the guilt and that stain anymore. Now, trust me, sometimes we still have scars. David prays this prayer, Lord, get rid of my, my stain, but he was still scarred because Bathsheba's still pregnant. Uriah is still dead. It doesn't always mean that what we have done has gone away, but here's something. This is very important. I really hope you take this to heart. When you think of your past sin and you think of the things that have done in your life and there's that voice and sometimes it's in the back of your head and sometimes it's in the front of your head. When you hear a voice reminding you of that, the voice that reminds you of your sin is not God's voice. I've got a good friend who's a pastor. Years ago, we were at Day Spring Camp. That's the camp we send our senior high youth to in the summer for discipleship. And this buddy and I were at Camp Egan. We were at what was called Day Spring East. And one evening, we're sitting outside our cabin, and we're watching as people are going to their cabins for the night, making sure everybody's going where they're supposed to go. And my friend does something that was really not a smart thing to do at all. I mean, obviously, if he had thought about it, he never would have done it, but he, he did it, and when he realized what he was done, he was embarrassed, and he was ashamed, and he looked at me, and he said, we're never going to talk about this. Now, honestly, it's the kind of thing that if it had gotten around, it could have caused him a lot of trouble, but no harm was done, and I told him, don't worry. I'm not going to talk about this, so don't worry. I'm not going to tell you what it was. It's not important. 
The next year, we go back to camp again, and we're talking with a group of people, and he remembers this thing. He, goes, he looks at me, he goes, now you remember what I did last year? And I went. He goes, you know, we were sitting on the porch, and, you know, and I said. And he persisted. <laughs> and I resisted. And after the other people had left, and it was just him and I alone, I said, I'm not stupid. I know what you're talking about. But I told you last year I would never talk about this, and I won't. So if you ever bring this up again, I will deny it because it's over. Now, beloved, if a flawed, scarred human being, a mere mortal, can offer that to someone, how much more, how much greater is the grace of our God to get rid of our sin? And I realize that, that, that saying, if there's a voice that reminds you of your sin, it's not God's voice. Some, somebody out there smart, you're, you're thinking of, okay, is this true or do you just believe it because the preacher said it? And you're thinking, but, but wait a minute, doesn't God confront us with our sin? Yeah, I preached that you know, three, four weeks ago. That God confronts us with our sin. Because when God confronts us with our sin, God's intention is that we will turn from our sin and come back in repentance to him. What I'm saying to you is when you have repented of your sin, when you have been forgiven of your sin, if it comes back, it's not God that's reminding you of that. It's a different voice. Do not pay attention to that voice. It is the voice of a lie. Oh, beloved, how great is the power of God to wash us, to cleanse us so that we're pure, and even to get rid of the stains. Man, that's some good news. Because again, we hear these voices, and sometimes these voices make us feel feel the, the fear and the guilt and the shame and all that again. I, I, I'm here to declare this this morning. This has been a lot of talk for me to get to this point, okay? This is what I want us to know. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven and cleansed, and you are free from the stain of your guilt. Oh, come on, man. That deserved more than that. I'm telling you. That is good. You will never in your life hear news that good. Because that means the way that we can live is not as people that are condemned. It is as people who are free. Because our God is so much greater than our sin. Our God is so much more pure, so much more holy. And that's what he desires for us. Because we're his bride. And he's going to present us without spot or blemish. We are free. Mm. Let's pray.